Presentation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. For episode three of the Bible Unmasked. Uh, I will be hosting you this evening. Uh, my name is Elizabeth Thomas, and we are so blessed to have our beloved pastor Dexter Thomas here with us, joining us, giving us some insights into the Bible. For those of you who are new to this, who are watching for the first time, we are studying through the Bible through this year and every week on uh, Facebook or YouTube or also on our um, plantation sda.tv we are airing this program discussing with um, well knowledgeable theologians about the Bible and we are so glad you joined us we want to welcome our other viewers as well who've been watching and going along with us through this exciting study of the Bible. Now, if you happen to have any questions um, throughout, we have a number that you can um, text into with your questions as we are airing every week. Uh, that I wanna give that number to you and hopefully it will be there on your screen as well. So you can jot it down and write down those questions for us. That number is 9454388. 8780 and we will be um, doing letting you know that number again at the end I will share that with you again so let's get into this we have had a great study this week of um, hopefully many of you have been reading your Bibles and we've been reading Genesis chapter 32 and going into the new book of Exodus chapter 4 and we've already had many questions come in come in and uh, we forget we want to apologize in case we don't get cover all of those questions but we're so glad that you are joining with us so pastor dexter can you tell us a little bit just a quick right. summary of um the reading for this week so the reading for this week um welcome again everybody the reading for this week genesis 32 to exodus 4 we will cover jacob wrestling with god jacob's strip um, leaving Laban and going back to his father, um, the rape of his daughter on, on the way, um, Esau separating from Jacob. Then we, we, we dive into the story of Joseph, Judah, hooking up with a temple prostitute, Joseph in Egypt. Then Jacob and all the, 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 his sons following Jacob, Joseph into Egypt. And then we jump over to the Exodus where the children of Israel began being persecuted and God setting things in motion to rescue them through a man named Moses. That's, that's what we read from chapter 32 um, of Genesis to chapter four of Exodus. Wow, that sounds messy. What a lot of drama there. Yes. <laughs> Our questions and answers should be very interesting. Before we begin, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. And I'll ask you to pray for us, please. Lord, let your word do what it was promised to do. Transform our hearts, bless our lives, and grow our characters. In the name of Jesus, amen. 
Amen. Well, let's get right into beginning with uh, chapter 32. Be before you jump in, though, to summarize last week, oh, right. which is what I probably should have done. Um, last week, um, Principal Rob and Pastor Jen, they did from Genesis 11 to 31. That was rich stuff. And basically, they covered from the tables of nation, that's the Tower of Babel, to the call of Abraham, leaving Ur of the Chaldeans, right? Sodom and Gomorrah, Isaac and Rebekah. And that's a story that I don't like because she was tricking a blind man. I never liked that story. Never. Um, and then the birth of Esau and Jacob, Jacob running away. And now we pick up the action and the drama. And let me say this before you jump into the questions, Mrs. Thomas. Um, you guys, Pastor Joe and Laverne, Pastor Jen and, and Principal Rob, I want you to know that I liked you before I started looking at this series. The reason my dislike for you started to grow is I told myself this is going to be a 30-minute thing. I do um, these, these seminars, these interviews. I do them like my, my personality and my height, short and sweet. So I was thinking 30 minutes max, but I saw you guys went almost an hour. And then when I saw the questions coming in, I'm like, Lord have mercy. This is going to be a ride. So fasten your seatbelts. We're in for a joyous time. Yeah. Okay. Let's get right from the beginning with chapter 32. And here we have Jacob. And the Bible says that Jacob wrestled with God. Was that was that really God or was that an angel? Right. And that's a great question because Jacob asked him his name. And in the Hebrew, it basically says, my name is too wonderful for me to reveal it to you. Too awesome. Too wonderful. Um, this the Bible describes as the angel of the Lord, um, which Stephen in Acts chapter 7 identifies as Jesus. So in fact, the, 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 the most of the interaction we have with God in the Old Testament is actually Jesus, which is why he can say in John chapter 8, um, where they wanted to stone him, before Abraham was, I am. Meaning the guy that spoke to Moses in the burning bush and said, I am that I am. That was Jesus. The one that blew breath into Adam. That was Jesus. So most, in fact, you hardly find God the Father showing up in the Old Testament. Most of the interaction with humanity, the one who who um, Moses had to, he had to cover Moses, Moses in the rock. So he, he could only get a glimpse of his back pants. That was all Jesus. So it, it was Jesus called the angel of the Lord that, that Jacob was wrestling with. Oh, interesting. Now they're wrestling. Why did they have to wrestle? Why did they have to get physical? Why couldn't they just talk it out? Yeah, good question. Because then you, you probably want to ask, I mean, could Jacob ever have strength to wrestle with a supernatural power? Mm -hmm. um, what I believe was happening is God was allowing Jacob to work through his anxieties, his guilt, and his deep fears. This is a man laden down with guilt. He had cheated his brother, you know, um, um, partnered with his mother to lie to his father to get the, the birthright. Right. And then he had to flee for his life. So he's lived with guilt. And then he's gone to a place to quiet his mind, to pray a bit because he's afraid that his brother is going to meet him. And then he feels a stranger. So he thinks it's a bandit. Right. He thinks it's like a robber. 
and Jacob was a big man. Jacob was a strong man because remember, remember back in the early chapters, he actually moved a rock um, for, for Rachel's sheep to drink that it would take. It would take a bunch of shepherds to move that thing. So he was a beast of a man. So he got in some serious blows. But why did they wrestle? They wrestled because obviously the angel, Jesus, could have injured him a long time so he could stop. Why didn't he do it earlier? God was allowing Jacob to work through his anxieties, to work through his fears, to get to the place where he was totally exhausted, where he was broken, where he had come to the end of himself. And unusually is when we are stripped down to God, that is when we begin to cry unto him because of our neediness and our helplessness. Okay, good. So now also um, it says that in the Bible, it says, I saw God face to face. That's what Jacob said. So doesn't the Bible tell us later that no one has seen God's face? Right. No one has seen God face and live. And again, my, my answer to this would be Jacob was being metaphorical, you know, because look, in, in Exodus, what, what we will touch on it next, next week. So you guys stay tuned. In Exodus, it clearly says no one could see my face and live. Moses, like I said earlier, um, God had to cover him in the rocks so that he won't see his face. However, God himself said in Numbers, that in Numbers 12, that, that Moses speaks to God face to face. So is that a contradictory? No, no, it's, it's metaphorical. W what Jacob is saying is I was intimate with God. I had a heart to heart with God. And that's usually what he's referring to when he's saying he's, he's you know, face to face. Now, this next question, I like this next question, Dexter, because it reminds me in, in, about your devotional that you just wrote. Can you tell us a little bit about discovering hope in 66 places? Oh my goodness. Shameless plug, a shameless plug, everybody. So I want you guys to go download the devotional. It's called discovering hope in 66 places, a practical daily motivation for every book of the Bible. So I created these themes like for Genesis, it's created and called, and I read, look through every chapter in Genesis looking for how I have been created and called and how it speaks to my invaluable worth. For the book of Exodus, the theme that I use was tips to your breakthrough. And again, the same thing. I, I was reading the book, looking for what strategies is the Lord giving me for breakthroughs in my life. And this devotional, everybody, it's absolutely free. I want you to go to innovativeoutreach.com. Please post that on this. Innovativeoutreach.com and download your daily um, discovering hope in 66 places. You, you, you'll sign up and it'll come to you as an email every day. So it's a powerful way to supplement your Bible reading. It's going to give you insight and practical ways to see how God's word is relevant and timely and connects to your day-to-day -day struggles. Okay, let's get to the question here though. <laughs> um, the question is about Jacob. So he um, obviously fear started to settle in because he heard about Esau coming with 400 men and he started to divide up his family and he even sent presents out ahead of time. And so, you know, I'm sure we, well, we know that we experience fear too. So how are we supposed to be responding? Do we respond like Jacob? Do we start 
making plans out to deal with this fear that is, is ahead of us or, you know, or should we just be going and trusting God and moving forward? I, I love one of the reasons I am so inspired by God's word is how practical and everyday it is. The, the Bible never seeks to shield us from the mess, the drama and the stink of human tragedy and human brokenness. Having said that, J Jacob was obviously very fearful and God don't shield us from his fearfulness. And so he's putting things in place to cover his fear. But, but beyond his fears though, he's also trying to be practical because this is a, he's, he's driving through dangerous country, right? There's robbers along the way, there's bandits along the way. So he's also trying to be practical and trying to minimize losses. I, I think to answer your question, um, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7 says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. So when there's fear, when there's anxiety in your heart, know that it's not from God. And if it's not from God, God is able to rid your heart of it, right? Get that in mind. However, you lack having fear doesn't mean you have totally abandoned God or you have no faith. Having fear simply means you are human and you're struggling with your humanness. And that's what we see with Jacob. Okay. Let's go on to um, chapter 34 to the story of Danaea. Oh boy. Yes. <laughs> this is quite the story here. And we see that um, Sheshem, this, uh, forgive my pronunciation, he was the son of Hemor the Hivite, who was the ruler of that area. Mm -hmm. And when he saw Danaea, he took her and raped her. His heart was drawn to Danaea's heart, to Danaea, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. One who loves does not rape. And what verse is that you read? Verse 2. Verse 2 of chapter 34. Wow. So how could Sheshem love and rape Danaea? I, I think a better description might more be lust. Mm. Um, might more be lust. Um, because lust is what produces that measure of desperation. And let me tell you, lust never honors its promises. Because the more you give in to it, is the more it will tell you you need to do to satisfy it. You know, so it's always a downward spiral when we engage in loss. So th this was clearly lost. Now, now it, 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 it may have become something better, you know, after his experience, because now he was willing to do whatever it took to get her. That, that's, that's my little reading of the story. Okay. So, um, now there, the brothers and Jacob had such a different response. Simeon and Levi were stirred to anger. And Jacob, though he didn't have that same response, and they took revenge. Is that, um, is that, was that okay to take revenge? Should we be taking revenge when we are angry like that? Yeah, that's a, such a good question, especially in these times when we are, have protests, when we want our our rights to be wronged, um, you know, and I'm agreeing, especially what we have experienced recently in the capital, violence is never, is never the solution or the answer. Never the solution or the answer because it, it, it creates more violence. 
um, definitely not the wise response. They, because here what, here what I, I see with these guys. These guys could have done better because if, if in deceit, they were able to hold off their murderous contempt and their vile act of, of wiping everybody out and putting their family at risk, if they had patience enough to do that, then they had patience enough to ask God for wisdom. Um, there, 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 there could have been other ways to deal with that situation. There could have been other ways within that culture um, to bring them to justice. I don't know what those things are right now. And, and let me just, let me warn you, reader, listener, the Bible's silence on an issue isn't the Bible condoning an issue. And that's a principle we would revisit as we comb through um, God's life-changing words throughout this year. Not because there is silence or there's not a judgment on an issue. It means God thinks it's okay. Okay. Um, let's keep going um, further in the story with Jacob. And he and his family, Jacob told his household to get rid of all the foreign gods and, um, and to purify themselves and to change their clothes. And then they were going to go to Bethel where they will build an altar to God and who answered me in the day of distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their foreign gods. They had rings and earrings and they buried them in, in the ground there. Um, this is one of the passages that supports our belief as Seventh-day Adventists that um, we, don't, um, we don't wear jewelry. But in Genesis 41:40, Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. And he dressed him in robes of fine linen and a gold chain around his neck. Should Seventh-day Adventists wear jewelry? <laughs> Good question. Somebody's trying to still mess everybody. <laughs> Good question. So let me, let me, let me give you my, my, my jewelry message. Let me give the essence of, of, of what I believe is the Bible's issue with jewelry. The, the Bible's issue with jewelry is not the jewelry itself. The, the biblical issue with jewelry is status. So the issue is not really the wearing of the jewelry. The issue is the status you're trying to create for yourself. So uh, uh, an example I like to give is... Um, when I was a younger preacher, I was about to say a young preacher, but a younger preacher, um, I was at Andrews doing my master's in systematic theology. And every time I go preach, people would introduce me that he's working on his master's. I didn't like hearing that. I wanted someone to say he's working on his PhD. That's what I wanted to hear. I wanted to feel good about myself. I wanted people to think I'm a, you know, I'm high up there. I'm this Mr. Intelligent, a man of substance. I wanted to hear PhD. So I really didn't like systematic theology. You know, those are the, uh, we are the people that write your Sabbath school quarterly, that, that write your 28 fundamental belief. We are the doctrinaires of the church, right? Uh, but I so wanted to hear somebody to say about me that I'm working with my PhD, that I began enrolling in the PhD program at Andrews in, um, in systematic theology. Now, look, I slept through so many of, of those master classes. It would have been a horrible experience. One class was costing $8,000. And those were the days, man, when I would talk into my pocket, my voice would echo. It was empty. 
And I wanted to find $8,000 to pay for one class. My plans were, Mrs. Thomas, to do one PhD class, then drop out the program. But every time people introduced me, they would say he is working on his PhD. And I would hope nobody, no one would ask, well, how long have you been doing that? None of your business. That's wearing jewelry. That's wearing jewelry. Because it is me becoming, seeking to, to be a poser, to pretend something I was not. That's what wearing jewelry is about. So, so when 2 Peter 3 talks about jewelry, right? He talks about jewelry and, and, and his, 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 um, his um, admonition against jewelry is against show, against um, bling, and against glamour. That was his idea. So, so wearing jewelry is if you're purchasing a seven-bedroom house and it's only you and your wife alone and you're not even hospitable. You don't even like hosting people. No kids, you're not going to adopt anybody, but you have a seven-bedroom house just so that somebody from church or some family or friend could say, wow, you see the size of the house they're living in? If you bought a car just for the name Benz, Beamer, Rolls Royce, just so that people could say, wow, that's wearing jewelry because it's a life of status and not a life of simplicity. So that, that's the answer. You know, Pastor Dexter, I'm really liking this because, you know, as husband and wife, um, you know, I'm, I'm starting to learn more and getting more answers from you too as well. You know, we don't always, every, you can't discuss everything, right? <laughs> and so this is really good. So thank you for sharing all of Hallelujah. this so far. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're, I'm gaining insights. This is great. And I hope you are too. And thank you again for joining with us. And we're going to keep going here now. We're going to go to Joseph. Now, Joseph, um, he was favored by his father, Jacob. And, you know, God gave him a dream uh, about the future. And he went off almost like boasting, it sounds like, to his brothers and his father. You know, hey, I had this dream and you bowed down to me and all this stuff. Um, and so my question here is, would he really have been sold and gone to Egypt if he had not started to go on about this? Because his brothers, when they saw him coming, they're like, hey, look at, there's that dreamer. Mm -hmm. Would they mm -hmm. have still had that same, you know, it would, would the events still have happened the way that they did? Yeah, I, um, Joseph was pretty immature. <laughs> you know, God gave him, and, and that's why you want to pray that the gifts that you have would match your character. That's what God wants. He wants your gift to match your character or else it's going to destroy you or cause you to destroy other people. Think about Moses. God had given him the gift of leadership, right? But at the age of 40, dude was, dude was just, he was a nut and he was immature, right? He had the passion to free his people, but look how he was planning to do it. Kill the Egyptians one at a time. So God had, God had to send old Mo into the wilderness 40 years. Check yourself, bro. You know, grow up a bit and get some humility. And, and even though he was humble, he still had a lot of arrogance that he struggled with, which, he, which is why he didn't even make it to the promised land, right? So God wanted Joseph's um, character to match the gift he had given him. But even if Joseph didn't boast, the brothers would have still hated him. You know why? Because Jacob had a rotten, 
ugly parental flaw of favoritism. Now, I understand. I understand. He got it because, you know, Laban messed with him and gave him the older sister before the younger sister, you know, and the younger sister was, you know, the younger sister's firstborn was Joseph. So he held him in special regard. I got all of that. But you never show favoritism with your kids. You know, you, you, you try to show them, you try to let them know that they're all loved. No, you can't treat them the same. I get that because every child is different, right? But you always affirm them in different ways, but you always let them know that they are equally loved and favored, even though they're not treated the same. Jacob didn't do that. How would you give Joseph a coat and not give everybody else a coat? How would you give Joseph a special coat? You are setting up the boy to be hated. Uh, so I think Jacob was one of the primary reasons um, that seeds of murder were planted in those boys. No, it's not an excuse again for what they did because they could have still chosen to love instead of be envious. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going on to another very drama-filled part of the story. mercy. Judah and Tamar. Oh boy, Mr. <laughs> Loverman. Yes, so Judah oh had three sons and his oldest son was married to Tamar and he passed away. Well, you know, in the time then they were to, um, the next son in line was there to give an heir to this first mm -hmm, son. Mm -hmm. So the question is, the second son, Onan, he also, he... Um, I guess the question is, was, did he masturbate when he, was that a sin when he did not have his seed then go into Tamar? Right. Um, it's amazing how we read our modern problems into the Bible. Now, I love using the Bible practically so that it could speak to my everyday struggle. Like, like, you know, in, the, in my devotional, another shameless plug, um, when I share from the story of Genesis, and like I said, my theme in Genesis, I read the whole book looking for how I'm created and called personally and how that, that theme applies to my life from the book of Genesis. I shared a story of, of when I was a teenager and I was hanging on a block with three other guys and someone drove by and they said, hey, we want um, four men to help on this project. And one guy turned to the man that, uh, that asked for the four men. He said, hey, what about three and a half guys? Meaning I'm, I'm a half a man because I, I'm, I'm not seeing. So I was less than a human being because of my blindness. And reading Genesis, God told me I'm worth something. God told me I'm special. God told me that he breathed his essence into me, which makes me um, invaluable, right? So I love using the Bible like that, where it speaks to my brokenness, my everyday challenges. But, but when we try to apply our ethical moral issues that is a modern phenomenon like um, pornography and so on to the cultural issues of the Bible, we usually mess things up. And instead of letting the Bible speak to our situations, we try to force situations into the Bible. So the answer about um, Onan, you know, making love to himself, was he, you know, taking matters into his own hands, literally, it had nothing to do with masturbation. You, you can't preach that doctrine from, from that one single verse. It's, it's biblical malpractice. The, the custom was, the, the sin was, he was, not, he was not fulfilling, he was not fulfilling a family law. 
a family. You, you, you had to uphold that law to keep the name of your brother alive. It was how you honored the family and you honored the deceased. So in selfishness, he was not doing that. So it had nothing to do with um, playing with yourself. What is the significance of this story? Going back to that, how, how, what can I take from this? Why is that story there in the Bible then? You know, I, I love those traditions. I love some of those Bible traditions because I'm thinking if, if my brothers, when my brother died and I had to marry his wife, let me tell you something. I'm going to make sure he choose a woman that I like too. <laughs> you know, he, man, bro, you better come correct with the choice of the woman that you're going to pick because I don't want to be stuck, you know? Um, so what, what that tradition does to me, it, it creates a greater sense of community. Nobody just goes off on their own and marry whoever they wants to. Creates a greater sense of that. So I think that's one thing I pick up from that tradition that you want to you wanna be involved in each other's decision. It needs to be a communal thing. This, this westernized individualism is why we have so much loneliness, is why so many of our marriages are just broken, are being, are being destroyed because we are making choices in isolation. And so that's one big blessing you can pick up from the story. Okay, let's jump to Joseph now. He's in Egypt. And he has these dreams. That, well, he had the dream before, and it's continuing now. And he um, says that dreams um, do, um, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. And um, the dreams were for foretelling. So is this the same for us in regards to prophecy of end-time events? Yeah, good question, because prophecy is usually foretelling and foretelling. One is calling out an injustice and the other one is predicting the future. And, and, you know, when I read about Joseph and Daniel and God giving them the gift of interpreting dreams, you're thinking, man, what could you do with that gift? It's not, he's not a preacher, you know, he's not a singer. But the story teaches us that no matter the insignificance of your gift, God has an awesome space and place for it. Hallelujah. He does. And, and it's a real big encouragement because sometimes you feel that, well, man, all I could do is this. Don't you ever label that precious gift that God has placed in you as all you can do, or I am just. Those are some, those are some real wicked description you can give that precious thing God has placed within you whether it be ushering or whether it be um, working in the parking lot ministry, every gift for the cause of Christ is precious and, and, and is a blessing for kingdom building. So that gift is still active. Usually, I grew up in a culture where we used to play these, um, it's, it's, like, it's like mini lottery, you know, where you had all these symbols and it was attached to a number. And, and so people would wake up They'd ask you when you woke up, what do you dream? What do you dream? So that they can see if your dream matched a number they can go and play the lottery for, you know? So I'm, I'm happy that interpretation of dreams had more potent significance than just something as trivial as that. Right. Now, Joseph's brothers, they came um, to Egypt, you know, when the famine hit. And Joseph responded with 
kind of games almost like psychological games why wasn't it like wasn't that too much shouldn't he have just you know forgiven them and kind of moved on no way jose why? no way he did the exact right thing you know why because he was going to put them in positions of prominence he was going to set them up um to own their own joint in egypt he had to make sure that these guys were trustworthy he had to make sure that they won't make a fool out of him. So he had to see for himself that these were changed and transformed men. And the test was perfect. Mm -hmm. Joseph couldn't come up with a better scheme than this. And you know, I, one of the things I love about God's word, and you guys look, you need to start reading the Bible like you read novels. You, you need to see how the author is crafting the drama, man. He's building the plot, right? Because you, you remember at one point in the story, they are talking in front of Joseph and they don't know he understands Hebrew, mm. right? So, so he's hearing them and he's about to break down. He's about to cry and he had to run out of the room. But, but that was God's way of showing him, yeah, they're genuinely repentant. And Judah was willing to die. And this is a foreshadowing of what one of his great, great grandsons named Jesus would eventually do for all the human race. Mm -hmm. Judah was willing to die so that Benjamin and the brothers could be set free. So no, it was a test and it worked well. Mm. Now, Joseph also told his brothers when he finally revealed himself that, um, you know, it was not you who sent me really to Egypt, it was God. Um, but God did. So how can we know in our life and circumstances if it is God or not? And is in God, is God in every situation then? Yeah, Joseph was ruling out Romans 8.28 for them. Mm. And I know that in all these things, that all things work together for the good to those that are called of God um, for his purpose. Now, it didn't say all things are good. It says all things work together for good. What Joseph was saying was not, is not that God was the author of the evils that happened to him. What Joseph was saying is that God did not waste the evil that happened to him. A crisis is a terrible thing to waste. And it's amazing that God could orchestrate the worst circumstances in our lives to bring out some of our greatest gifts. And which is why I, I, I tell people, let this Corona experience be something you would look back on and say, Corona gave me this blessing. You know, like so I, I wrote the devotional, right? That's one of my Corona gifts. You know, um, um, we are working on a, on a, on a children's, uh, on a children's talking hardboard book with manipulatives on each cloth page, right? Um, that's one of my Corona gifts. I'm going to look back 10 years from now and say, you know, that period blessed me in these significant ways. Don't allow tragedy to, to happen to you in vain. Allow God to bless you through the tragedy. Mm -hmm. Did I sound like I'm preaching? Yeah. yeah, I was told we shouldn't preach. <laughs> I'm excited. It's, it's yeah. the word. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good. <laughs> okay. Now, throughout the Bible, we see that um, that a birthright is given out, and this happens here also in this 
time period where Jacob, he's coming near to the end of his life and he asks his sons to come and he wants to bless them and to give them a birthright. And so he has Joseph come with his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and they, he places the hands on the, on their heads. Um, and so our question here is what is the significance of birthright in biblical times and why only firstborns were called to be blessed by their elders? Right. Let me answer a question ahead of that. The whole answer of why did Joseph, you know, switch his hands like that? Right. Um, Joseph did something really ugly and awful, you know, and you all heard my joke earlier. He and his mom, they tricked the blind. You don't ever do that. <laughs> Trick the blind. Um, but remember what happened, what, what Isaac did? Isaac, Isaac blessed Joseph. I mean, Jacob blessed Jacob thinking he was Esau. Mm -hmm. and, and, and let me tell you how I read the Bible. I like reading the Bible asking what should have happened or what, what's a, what could have happened. I like calling it the preferred practice, meaning God had already told Rebecca that Jacob was going to be the, 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 the one to be blessed. He would be the one honored, even though he was the second born. She knew that, right? Mm -hmm. she, she knew that. Isaac knew that. But he was going against God's will because, again, the whole favoritism, that was, a, that was just a nasty, evil, evil thing that, that took a hold of these guys, this favoritism thing. He just loved Esau, and he was willing to go against God's word by honoring Esau ahead of the promised one, Jacob. And I guess, I guess Jacob was now showing us what God would have done. The situation almost repeats itself. And, and a lot of the Bible does that, you know, situations come up and they repeat themselves, right? Jacob had gone blind. And as someone that had gone blind, he now had to bless people just like his blind father had to do some blessing. And basically what Jacob was telling us, if he had honored God, if he had waited, if he had not um, joined forces for evil with his mom, Isaac would have had to cross his hands. So he was showing us that. Um, so so, so what, he, what, what Jacob does now is he crosses his hand and the younger one is blessed in place of the older one. And, and I think the significance now, to answer the question, the significance of the older one being blessed. Jacob said it. Jacob said it in chapter 49. He said, you, you, you are my strength. You're the firstborn of my strength. The, the, the firstborn is, is, is like tithe. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you, you're giving your first to God. You're saying to God, all that I have, it's, it's yours. And, and to honor you with all that I have, you're just asking for, for, for the first part of it. You, you, you're saying, look, dedicate the first to me. It's, it's a Matthew 6.33 happening here now. Seek first the kingdom. And all these things would be added onto you. Like my motivational um, um, favorite speaker likes to say, if you put God first, you'll never come in second. And, and that's what the firstborn is about. It's saying to God, I'm putting you first. I'm putting you first so that nothing else would come second in your life. Because you think about it. You think about it. Your, your firstborn is the child that usually gets spoiled. You know, by the time other kids are coming, well, you're too tired. You're like, you don't care. You behave as bad as you want. You, you, whatever, do it, right? You don't care. But the firstborn, you don't want to make mistakes and you want to be the perfect parent, you know, and X and Y. Um, so the firstborn is usually, you know, where our heart is the most tender. And God is saying, give that to me, mm -hmm. right? So the firstborn gets that blessing 
because I believe of that same connection. That's my stretch. So is birthright still relevant today? You know, you know, we, we don't have that same culture, but I think we should think in that same culture. Mm. You know, I, 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 you know, and, and, and like me, my father had 15 children. You all know his favorite chorus was sowing the precious seed. And his favorite Bible passage was be fruitful and multiply. Um, but I'm the seventh of eight from my mother. But my siblings all look up to me in a lot of ways, um, you know, as their spiritual guide, you know. And so they've, in a lot of ways, they've kind of given me firstborn status. So, so I, I, I think um, it, it within our siblings, especially if you're a Christian and your siblings are not, you know, allow the firstborn status to be rest upon you. Because in a sense, spiritually, you are that firstborn. And I think you should show leadership in that sense. So I don't think you should use firstborn in terms of, well, I am, I am entitled to. But I think you should use firstborn to say, I am obligated to bless, to lift up, to build. Now, I don't know, I, I maybe mixed this up a bit and I need you to clarify, is a blessing like in Genesis 49, Jacob blessed all of his sons. Is that the same as a birthright? No, no kind of, okay. yeah, it's totally different. Okay. But, but let me tell you the blessing. And, and I, I think, you know, parents, you need to start doing this to your children. You lay your hands on them and you speak God's words into their lives. The Bible says death and life is in the power of the tongue. After the Capitol riot this week, Barry Black, you know, on an interview with, with Anderson Cooper, that's how he began um, his sharing. Death and life. Our words have meaning. Our words produce things. You know, in, in John 17, Jesus wasn't, he said, look, from verse 21, he said, I'm not just praying for the disciples, but I'm praying for all those who would believe through them. When we speak words, they, they, they create something, though, it, though it's invisible. They create, right? And, and so you want your words to create protection to create strength to create empowerment for your children blessings do make a difference so then how can some of those men did not get a positive blessing from my reading yeah good point good point because it's up to you to live out that blessing okay so does god guide in those blessings or and do they come true they come true when you live them out it's just like, you know, a lot of us, we don't realize that there are generational curses in our lives and generational curses are broken through better decisions, not just through prayer and breaking the curses that bad decisions from your family made that you're still suffering from. But when you make better decisions, it's the way you break that curse also. So those guys didn't walk out the blessings. Mm, okay. Let's go on now to Exodus. <laughs> okay. And we begin with Exodus 1 where um, we have Pharaoh. He didn't like how, these, how the Israelites were growing into such a great nation. And so he had the midwives. He said, you know, if any of these Hebrew women have a boy, you know, you, need, you destroy them, kill them. If it's a girl, let her live. So was it all right for the midwives to lie about what they were doing with the newborn babies? Because these midwives, they did not do that. They spared 
these boys, praise the Lord. Um, <laughs> praise the Lord for their lies or yes. their sparing well, the yeah, that, Okay, so that's the question. And is it all right to lie? And can you lie with the idea that you're saving a life? Oh my goodness. This was an entire seminary um, class on oh. ethics. Mm. Um, again, and I'm happy I said this earlier, the Bible's silence on an issue is not the Bible condoning the behavior. So, so Rahab spared the spies by lying. That does not mean the Bible condones lying. Um, and, and so th this is a raging debate. It's called, it's, it's called utilitarianism. Um, is, it, is that the correct thing? One of the theologians coming up is going to correct me. But it basically says that the ends justifies the means, mm. right? And, and so they're saying, look, should you have lied to the Nazis when you know, to hide the Jews. The ends then justifies the means, right? Um, so I'm going to just leave you guys with that. But I want to transition to the early part of the story that says, that, 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 that sets up the whole Exodus narrative and drama. And, and how it sets it up is that the, the, the Egyptians began being threatened by the Israelites because their numbers were growing. Let me show you the relevance with us in America. S some statistics came out a few years ago that white America would become a minority. Is it 2040 or some year like that? And somehow politicians used that to stoke fear and anger, especially in rural white America. And it made it worse with Barack Obama being an African-American president, you know? And so, so because the Egyptians feel, felt threatened, they decided to eliminate that threat, which is such ignorance. Because think, and it's the same thing Hitler did in Germany. He poisoned the German mind saying, look, it's the Jews. They're, they're so much powerful. They own all the businesses. You know, uh, all our problems is because of them. This scapegoat them. It's, it's stupid leadership. Because what that Pharaoh should have done is harness all this greatness, harness all this genius, build a better nation with all the diversity, you know. But, 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 but he, he was threatened. He was undermined because dude was weak. But then he, he, has, he has another problem. He has another problem. The Bible says that there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph, nor what Joseph did. Right. He didn't know Joseph, nor what Joseph did, because the Israelites were no longer doing as Joseph did. They were no longer making impact on society that made a difference and that saved lives, that lifted up people. They were no longer doing that. So obviously, they never continued the legacy of Joseph. So they eventually suffered for it. So God rose up a man, Moses, and to do these miraculous signs. Um, and he called um, Moses from a burning bush, the Bible says. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Was that really a burning bush or is it just the light of God? Or what is that burning bush? What is it? Mean? You know, I, I just checked my, my calendar and I, uh, and I, and my, my planner and I wasn't there. <laughs> so I don't have a clue. Yes. Next question. Good. With nine minutes to go. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, this is my um, personal question, and it actually is personal because of you being blind, Dexter. So, 
<laughs> it will it affects me too <laughs> um so moses was talking to god and and um god he was saying no i can't do this i can't talk to the pharaoh and god's response was well have you know because he was moses was feeling i can't you know i don't i'm i stutter or something you know and so god's response let me read it here so the lord said to him who has made man's mouth or who makes the mute the deaf the seeing or the blind have not i the lord how have you taken that dexter you know to be reading that you know has god made you blind mm. i usually skip over those verses No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, let me just prep you guys for next week. The pastor is going to just really lift your spirits next week. So please tune in because next week we're reading Exodus chapter five all the way to what? Is that 27? And, and we're going to cover God hardening Pharaoh's heart and the controversy that that leads to, which is predestination. We're going to cover the Israelites leaving um, Egypt, the Red Sea parting. Um, their struggles in the wilderness, the Ten Commandments being given. Um, you have some good stuff coming up next week. So please, please. And so one of the discussions, it, it, uh, their, the Hebraic mindset was anything that happened came from God, good or bad. It came from God because if God could have prevented it, he would have. And because he allowed it, he offered it. Right. That's basically their thinking. So, so this, this blind comment, this blind comment is communicating that same concept, right? Because, because Moses, remember, this is not a word for word. The, the, we believe as a church, we believe in plenary inspiration, meaning um, Moses didn't make a phone call and, and God is like, yo, Mo, listen, in the beginning was the word. Right in the beginning was the heavens and the earth. Moses, said, hold on, God, I, I can't write that quickly. No, we don't believe in, in 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 oral or verbal, sorry, inspiration. We believe in thought inspiration. So God blew an idea into Moses' head, and Moses wrote the experience with his words, with his understanding, that experience. And, and, and so the struggle now with that is that you would then run into their own cultural biases in that articulation of the inspiration or the thought they receive from the Lord. Am, am I losing? You still with me, everybody? Just wave your hand if you're with me. Thank you. Good. So, so this is one of the situations, right? The concept was bad and evil came from God. It's, it's like Isaiah 45, 7, where, where Isaiah wrote, God says, I created, the, 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 I created good and evil, right? It's that concept, right? Because they believe if God didn't stop it, he authored it. So, so that's the blind story. But, but to answer your question, I don't believe God's intention. My blindness is because of sin, not in my life or my parents' life, right. but on the planet. And part of the consequence of living on a sinful planet is disability. Right. Okay. I am amazed. We have been learning so much and we are now to our last question. Wow. <laughs> and we did almost an hour. Yes. So we've done very well. Okay. This comes from Exodus 4, verse 24, where Moses with his family, his wife, Zipporah, and their sons, they are now headed to Egypt. And um, all of a sudden, it, I'll read it here. It says um, that Moses, the, 
um, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. How can you explain this? Why would the Lord be coming to kill Moses? Right. Yeah, this is a this is a good way to end this study. And it, well, there's a, one little part B to it. Should, mm -hmm. And it. that's the circumcision. Should all Christian men be circumcised? Right. Yeah, this is a powerful way to end the study. Because in the Bible, when you deny God's symbols, you deny what, what it represents and what it stands for. So for instance, they had to put the blood over the doorpost because it symbolized, right. you know, God's protection. God specifically said, look, you put blood on your doorpost, the angel of death is not going to strike. And you guys are going to discuss that next week, right? And who was that angel of death? Um, and the people who obeyed the symbol, their lives were spared, including Egyptians, mm. right? The, the same thing, remember in John 13, where, where, where Peter, he was refusing to have Jesus wash his feet. And Jesus is like, dude, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then Peter, he, you know, he's like, well, Lord, give me a shower, you know, wash all of me. And Jesus is like, no, no, you just need the feet to be washed. And then all of you are, all of you are cleansed. All of you. So when you deny, deny the symbol, you deny what it represents. You deny what it stands for. You lose the blessing that it symbolizes. And that's why baptism, it's a symbol of burial, and the resurrection of our new life. You deny that. You deny what it stands for, right? Moses was going to lead God's people. Moses was disobedient and did not circumcise his children because his wife was carrying on, mm. right? God had to make a significant stance because you're not my nation except you have the symbol of circumcision, which says that, that, that you are set apart, that's what I gave to Abraham. Mm. How could you claim to now be a son of Abraham and, and you don't have the symbol of what it means to be a son of Abraham? Don't trip like that, Moses. Get, thing, get your act together, dude. You're about to lead my people. Uh, so that's what that happened. That's how serious God was about his symbolisms because it meant something. Um, and, and, and no, circumcision is a very healthy thing, right? So yes, you should do it. But the, but, the, the, but the symbolism, as Paul explains in Colossians chapter 2, is the circumcision of the heart. What God wants from us is that our hearts would be purified, that our minds would be cleansed, and we would resolve to walk in the strength of Jesus. Okay. Thank you so much, Pastor Dexter, so much. Thank you to all of our viewers as well. We would invite you to invite your family, invite your friends to come on this journey with us as we continue through the Bible Unmasked, as we are reading through this year, the whole entire Bible. So for this coming week, keep into this story of Moses and the Israelites. And we would like you to read Genesis 5. Exodus. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Exodus 5 all the way to verse 27 and our next week our presenters next sunday will be presenting to the, that to you you don't want to read it all 
at once, that's quite a lot, you know, take it at it, at, you know, a bit at a time throughout the week, you have the week. And if any questions arise, please text us your questions. We love to receive your questions and to answer them. I'm going to give you that number again, and hopefully it's there on your screen as well. That number is 954-388-8780. Again, 954-388-8780. And um, we thank you so much. Let's just end this session now with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that we've been able to delve into your word to gain new sights, new understandings. And there's been some things that have been confusing too, but um, we want to come to them you know, knowing that they're from you and we want to understand them. So as we continue, please give us wisdom and understanding. Please bless everyone who's watching this and their families until we meet again next week. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with the Bible Unlost.